Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts chapter 12. We'll go verses 1 through 19. Again, Acts 12, 1 through 19. Let's go ahead and start with prayer this morning. Oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Whenever tragedy strikes and there's suffering or, or, or something big happens, there is a... Uh, uh, a tornado that rips through a town, a hurricane, or a, another mass shooting within our nation. Across social media for years now, people have offered simply what we could in thoughts and prayers. But it has become, since 2017, a revolt against thoughts and prayers, saying, you can keep them. We don't need your thoughts and prayers. Your thoughts and prayers do nothing. We need more than merely thoughts, and prayers in this world. And I would contend that what Scripture upholds is that our prayers are the very best and first thing we are to offer, that anything that comes after that is a lesser work, but that when tragedy strikes and suffering abounds, yes, your prayers are needed. Now, the phrase thoughts and prayers isn't needed unless you're actually going to hold them in your thoughts and pray for them. See, Samuel Chadwick, in his book, The Path to Prayer in the 19th Century, he writes that Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. So what is your personal prayer life like? Professor, scholar, author, pastor, theologian D.A. Carson, when he was instructing a bunch of soon-to-be pastors in seminary, told them that if you really want to embarrass the average Christian, just have them tell you about their private prayer life. And then he went on in this lecture to talk about a study done of evangelical seminaries and across those who were studying to be missionary found that only 6% of them had what they would call a personal prayer life. The people being sent out into the mission field to take the gospel, 6% among those in evangelical seminaries. So what is your personal prayer life like? So we're going to take a moment here and we're going to be honest. We're going to be honest with ourselves and in this space because we can, because we have the one who has already forgiven us and sits on the throne so we can go without fearing judgment or condemnation. So we can talk honestly about this. Some are skeptical on the whole prayer thing. Skepticism abounds. The reason there's backlash against thoughts and prayers is because there's skepticism that exists. There's doubt that exists into prayer because sometimes you see that when you pray, 
things happen. And there are other times when you pray and nothing happens. In fact, Garth Brooks writes a number one billboard song called Unanswered Prayers on the whole notion that prayers go unanswered. Now, he took a new perspective to see it, that it was actually an answered prayer by being unanswered, that God's will is not for us to be known. But still, we hold skepticism towards prayer because we pray, we see things happen, but other times we pray and nothing happens. And then sometimes we don't pray and what we forgot to pray about ends up happening anyway. And so we don't understand the full mystery of how this whole prayer thing works. And so, it seed, and so it sows seeds of doubt and skepticism within us and our hearts. And instead of leading us closer into a deeper walk of prayer, it does the exact opposite. It has Satan's full effect as it pushes us further away from it. Be honestly, not sure how it works. So that leads us to do it less because we don't fully understand what it is. But in Acts 12 today, what we're about to read, I believe it's a real blessing and, and a snapshot into the prayer life of the early church, that there's some lessons we can learn about it. So let's go there now and read in 12 verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on, the very, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands and the angel said to him, dress yourself. And put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought it was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them to its own accord, and they went out and went along one street. And immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James. 
and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea to spend time there. Here ends the reading of the word of God. Thanks be to God for his holy instruction. So there's a lot going on here that, that we see in, in, in some, one of the most explosive, most eye-opening, intriguing events we can see in Acts. It's Peter's escape from prison. Now, if we're keeping track, this is Peter's third time in prison in the book of Acts. Two times he was brought into prison by the Sanhedrin for questioning and, and, and to tell him to stop. And now this King Herod Agrippa the grandson of Herod the Great, is ruling over Jerusalem and he has Peter arrested because he had James, son of Zebedee, one of the sons of thunder, the brother of John the Beloved. James was beheaded, the first apostle to be martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, all of this occurred around 44 A.D., So the church now has been in existence for well over a decade. Peter, one of its leaders, sits in prison and would have already been executed had it not been for Jewish law that no trial or execution can occur during the festival of unleavened bread. So he waits in prison and we see how well he is taken care of in prison. There's four squads of guards to watch over him and normally in you're chained to other prisoners, but not Peter. Peter was chained to other guards. And then there were guards at each gate there, and they were rotating on shifts in and out. But what was the church doing? Scripture tells us the church was in earnest prayer. When Peter arrives at the house of Mary, who is the mother of John, also named Mark, who is the author of Mark's gospel, who will go out later, as we will see, on missionary journeys with the Apostle Paul. It is at this house where it's believed the Passover feast, the Last Supper, in that upper room occurred with Jesus and his apostles. It's at this house that was almost headquarters for the apostles there, and there they were when Peter arrived still in prayer praying because they were afraid, praying for God's will to be done, that they would remain steadfast and bold as they had in previous times of persecution. For Peter, one of their leaders, they believed was as good as dead. So much so that Rhoda, when she went to answer the door and heard his voice, she doesn't even answer the door. Peter, a fugitive, is left outside the door. The comedy of what is happening in this moment is amazing. And Rhoda goes and tells the believers who are there, Peter is at the door and they said, you're crazy. They said, it is his ghost, it is his angel, it is his spirit. Because they knew Peter was as good as dead and were not expecting the great thing God had in store. And so we see We see what the church did in the moments of their fears when they were afraid. 
the church prayed. They were afraid for their future, fearful of what was to come next. With seeing the beheading of James and Peter arrested, they prayed. What is it you do when you're afraid? Eugene Peterson says that in the Psalms, there's two kinds of prayers that we find. There's evening prayers and morning prayers. Evening prayers are ones like Psalm 4 in which David goes before God and lifts up his worries and his fears. And then we read at the end of Psalm 4 in the very last verse that he will peacefully lie down and go to sleep. The evening prayers are the ones in which David unloads his worries and his fears upon the Lord before he goes to sleep, not taking it with him so that his rest may be rest. Understanding that we also hear this from the Apostle Paul to not only pray without ceasing, but to give all of our worries and anxiousness and anything we have that we are afraid of to God. We can read this within Scripture that 365 times the phrase, do not be afraid, appears. Here are the believers. In the moments of their fear, they pray. Pray an evening prayer. Now, Eugene Peterson says there's also morning prayers. Morning prayers are more active in their nature. There's more action in them. It's, a, it's bold prayers. That the things that have gone wrong in the world would be made right. That they would be petitions to God of the changes that need to be made. So evening prayers, they are relieved of their worries and their anxieties, and in the morning, they petition God to be bold and active, to go forth doing his will, continuing to beat back persecution and the works of Satan. And they prayed earnest prayers. And Peter arrived, and they were still praying. The church was in prayer we see how they use prayer for purposeful mission advancement. Purposeful mission advancement. John Piper in his best-selling book, Desiring God, writes that prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. He continues to write, it is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call for more comforts in the den. What are your prayers like? Are they praying for comforts in the den? Or have we realized that the life we live is one that is in battle? God's kingdom to continue to spread and be built? Are we praying the scriptures with boldness and action, petitioning for gospel advancement, claiming the promises of God? See, we are to spend, I believe, most of our time praying for the advancement of God's kingdom in our family, in our community, and to the ends of the earth. See, when Jesus instructs his disciples on how to pray, we call it the Lord's Prayer. We pray to 
this morning, when we can look at it, we can see that initially Jesus teaches them how to reverence God. You are in heaven. Holy is your name. And then the first thing we're to pray for, the first thing he teaches the disciples to pray for, what takes up a third of the prayer is for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. The very first fruits of our prayer are to be for gospel advancement, for purposeful kingdom advancement of God. To be bold. This is what Jesus taught. To pray with this kind of boldness. Finally, we can see here in scripture, it's, it's this understanding of earnest prayer found in verse 5. It says they were, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Luke uses this word for earnest one other time. He uses it in Luke 22, verse 44. We can read it here. It says, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. The same word he uses to describe the prayer of the church when Peter is in prison is the same word, ektenos, that in Greek that he uses to describe the very prayer of Jesus upon the facing of his own self-sacrifice for our sins. And we see in that moment when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, his very last moments here on earth, he told the disciples to stay and pray, be in vigil for him. And Jesus goes and goes into prayer. And when Peter tries to do something other than pray, like grab the sword and cut off the ear of someone, Jesus rebukes him and tells him to put it away. Prayer is what we are called to. Earnest prayer is what Jesus does. Earnest prayer is what this early church does. This Greek word, ektenos, is one that means fervently, unremittingly, earnestly. Here the church is in prayer for Peter without ceasing. The church was persistent in its prayers. One of their main leaders about to be killed. All hope looks lost. Weren't sure if Peter was going to make it. In fact, they were quite certain he wasn't. Satan wants to destroy the church. Destroy your family. Destroy your life. But it is not the will of God for it to be done. Don't give up. Keep, keep calling on God. It has been given advice to me that there is a, a book or something that exists and it's called Push. Pray until something happens. Falls right in line with what Paul has in Scripture to pray without ceasing. 
despite our unknowing of the mysteries of exactly how prayer works and when it is answered and when it is not, we are called to pray without ceasing. Earnest prayers, fervent prayers, unremittingly be in prayer. And then we see Peter, by God's will and grace, is led right out of the prison. The light shines upon him. An angel appears, taps him on the shoulder. The chains fall off. He's chained to guards. The chains fall off. And then it says he walks by one guard. And then he walks by another guard. And then the doors, just like when you enter into public, slide right open. And out Peter walks. Not of his own volition, but by God's doing. And he goes and hides out for a while because he's a fugitive. We'll see Peter again. But Peter went to find them instead of running away initially to tell them what had happened. So that they may be encouraged. That while the mysteries of prayer are, un, are not known to us, called to be a people of prayer. John Wesley, who is the founder of Methodism, said, I am convinced God does nothing except in answer to prayer. And we see in Acts that every time the church prays, something explosive happens. For Acts begins with Jesus ascending into heaven and the disciples gathering and praying for 10 days straight, and then the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost, the day we're celebrating today, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter goes out and preaches, and 3,000 are saved that day. Then after the second time Peter is arrested, this time with John, and he's released by the Sanhedrin, that they come back, and in chapter 4, it says that they pray together and receive boldness. The church receives boldness in the midst of persecution upon threat of violence and life against them that they would go and continue to proclaim the resurrection of their Lord, that the gospel would advance and the kingdom be built. And the church grows to over 10,000. And we see in those chapters that come afterwards that those who persecuted Saul, their persecutor, comes to faith in Christ. That there are prayers that led to their boldness that continue to lead to more prayers that God's will and his advancement of the gospel continue. Explosive things happen when the church prays. The church gathered to pray in Acts 12 and they prayed earnestly, fervently, unremittingly, without ceasing. And Peter walks right out of prison. Right out of death's grip. Not this time, Satan. Not this time. The jailers are executed. And in the rest of chapter 12, Herod will die when he goes to speak before the people and doesn't give the glory to God for Peter's escape. So tell me about your prayer life. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said on one of his busiest days, he goes, I have so much to do. I shall spend three hours in prayer first. We live in a world today in which 
in our busiest moments, prayer is moved to the margins or off the desk altogether. As Christians, the opposite is what we are called to. In our busiest, most disturbing, grief-filled, joy-filled times, everything else is to be moved off the table and we are to enter into prayer. To pray without ceasing. Praying for the lost. For the persecuted. For missionaries to be raised up. For the church to advance the gospel and build the kingdom. For God's glory to shine brightly in all the land. Peter goes to Mary's house. While they're still in prayer. As an answer to their prayer. To encourage them to continue to be a people of Persistent prayer. May we become a people of persistent prayer. May we become a church of persistent, fervent prayer. Jim Cimbala notes that you can tell how popular a church is by who comes on Sunday morning. You can tell how popular a pastor or evangelist is by who comes to a Sunday night meeting. You can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people spend time in prayer. May Jesus be ever more popular than the church and the pastor. Amen.